Monday edition PFTPM conference championship games in the rearview mirror. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you over the course of the next hour, looking back on everything that happened on Sunday and looking ahead to the Super Bowl. Just 13 days away, we'll be in the final countdown to kick off 13 days from this moment as we get closer and closer to it's usually some weirdly specific time, like six minutes, six hours, 18 minutes, and 32 seconds. But Shereen, I am very happy because. If I were a betting man, I would have recouped some of my losses this past weekend because both games right, both against the spread right, 2-0, and I'll take it, and I'll be glad there weren't more than two games. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Let's talk about the beginning of the season, Mike. I think that you had the Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. I had the Buccaneers to get the Super Bowl lose to the Ravens, so I'm not embarrassed by that pick as I have been some years, but I think you had them to win right before the year started. I had them to get to the Super Bowl and win it. I had them beating the Patriots, which balances out any, <laughs> any, you know, positivity coming out of the Buccaneers getting there. But look, I, I was all over the place and you never know when the season's going to start. I had the Cowboys at the one seat in the NFC for crying out loud. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, every once in a while we get lucky and we just talk about that and not all the dumb things that we did with the Super Bowl looming though. Give me the Super Bowl storyline, Shereen, that you're looking forward to the most. Well, I can't get enough of Mahomes versus Brady, Mike. And I know we're going to hear a lot of that, but I could hear that forever. I mean, you have the greatest of all time and a guy look, who looks like right now that he's going to threaten to be the greatest of all time, threaten all of Brady's records, threaten his Super Bowl appearances and his Super Bowl wins at this point. And he's making it look easy, frankly, Mike, getting to two Super Bowls. And if not for the offsides penalty on D Ford, perhaps they'd be going for their third consecutive Super Bowl. I'm not going to get tired of this storyline. Yeah, if D Ford is an offside, if the overtime rules would have given the Chiefs a crack at matching what the Patriots did, it would have been number nine for Tom and number three for Patrick Mahomes. He'd already be a third of the way to Brady's career mark. And I'll take it one step farther. I said this earlier today on PFT Live, and I like it, so I'm going to say it again. If the Chiefs had <laughs> listened to me when they were slumping in the middle of the 2017 season and benched Alex Smith for Patrick Mahomes, it could be four Super Bowl appearances if he had taken the NFL by storm as a rookie the way that he did in 2018. Either way, he's going to be back over and over and over again. And that storyline, I agree with you. I'm looking forward to it the most, but it's also the one I'm going to get tired of very quickly because everybody's going to be talking about it. And it is fascinating, but at some point, we have to realize there's going to be 21 other guys on the field whenever either of the quarterbacks are under center. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And they're two and two against each other, and all four of those games are going to be replayed, I'm sure. And Brady obviously holds the biggest of those. You mentioned it you know, two years ago in the championship game when the Patriots won. So I don't think I am going to get tired of it because that, that is going to be the biggest element to this game. Whoever plays the best at quarterback, whoever does the mo most in the red zone, can score the most touchdowns, is going to win this game. I'm excited. I think we're going to have a high-scoring game because of these two quarterbacks, Mike. And we've got two coaches who have the same mentality of there is no tomorrow. And the no risk it, no biscuit that we see from Bruce Arians, that may not be the best mentality to get you to this point of the season, but it's a great mentality to have 
once you're here. We saw it yesterday, late in the first half, the touchdown pass to Scotty Miller. We saw the opposite of no risk it, no biscuit when the Packers had an opportunity with a two-point conversion to tie the game late. We're going to be talking about that decision coming up later in the program, but let's flip it over to the Packers. we got plenty of time to talk about the Super Bowl. One of the biggest stories in the NFL right now, and even though some of the media are doing their damnedest to shout it down, it's taking root and people are talking about it because they recognize yesterday after the loss by the Packers to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when Aaron Rodgers was speaking to reporters, he opened the door on his own to talk about his future. Here he is. A lot of guys' futures that are, you know, uncertain, you know, myself included. Uh, that's what's sad about it most. So how do you go on from here? I mean, you kind of hit on some of the realities a minute ago. So how do you go on from here? How do you how do you take the next step? Yeah, Bill, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns going into this off season now, and. They just, I'm going to have to take some time away for sure and, and clear my head and just kind of see what's going on with everything. But it's, uh, it's pretty tough right now. You know, the more I hear that, the more I see it, the more I think about it, the more significant it is. There's a lot of unknowns going into this offseason. I'm not sure what the unknowns really are. Nobody thinks the Packers are going to say, well, you know what? We think Jordan Love is ready. Aaron Rodgers was slipping a little bit last year. It's probably time to float him on a sheet of ice. I mean, they want Rodgers. They need Rodgers. And bringing Jordan Love in actually gave Rodgers a Jimmy Garoppolo style to Tom Brady kick in the butt and helped elevate him. I think what the Packers didn't calculate is that Rodgers is going to have some say in what his future is going to be, Shireen. And it seems to me like... He's going to be thinking about everything. And I heard something just before the show that makes a lot of sense. And we kicked around this idea earlier today at PFT. I think he wants more money. That's the talk. He's woefully underpaid in comparison to other top quarterbacks. And he makes as much as Jared Goff, which tells you how underpaid Aaron Rodgers is. If he's making either, either Jared Goff is ridiculously overpaid (laughs) and he is, or Aaron Rodgers is underpaid and he is, but, but that, is the core of this. You get a new contract, and the contract carries the security that you know you're not living year to year. You've got two or three years of football left with the Packers based upon the cap charge that would apply if something happened in the next couple of years under a new contract. I'm going to take both, Mike. Goff is vastly overpaid, and Aaron Rodgers is vastly underpaid. So I'm going to take both of those. Uh, because they're both true. But another thing, Mike, he may be positioning himself, too, to have some say in personnel and what they do in the offseason. You know, they drafted, as you said, moved up to get Jordan Love. They drafted A.J. Dillon, the running back in the second round. These are obviously things that didn't sit well with Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. He didn't feel like they did everything they needed to do to become – the Super Bowl champion that they now aren't going to be this year. And he sat there and watched Tampa Bay get all these players. Every player that became available, Tampa Bay was all over them. And they ended up signing a bunch of those guys, and they signed a bunch of those guys in season. When you talk about the Leonard Fournettes and ABs and those types of guys, they were in on every player. They pushed all their chips to the middle and said, 
we don't have long with Tom Brady, so we're going to try to at least win one championship with Tom Brady. The Packers didn't do that for Aaron Rodgers, despite the fact that he's running out of time as their quarterback, and they're sitting here with one championship, Mike. So this also could be a play of, hey, I want you to do what I want you to do in the offseason, whether that's signing another receiver to go with Devontae Adams or whatever it is, upgrading that offensive line you know, by re-signing some of the guys like Corey Lindsley, who's going to be a free agent. Whatever it is, maybe Rodgers wants more say in that area too, Mike. And here's the problem. Although it's a double-edged sword that could help the Packers as much as it hurts them. The salary cap is expected to be in the range of $180 million for 2021 because of the pandemic. That means there isn't going to be a lot of money to throw around. But what it also means is guys are going to be cut from other teams. And if they're going to be getting bargain basement offers and the middle class for veteran free agents is going to be non-existent, it's going to be the Great Depression for a lot of these NFL players and they don't even realize it yet, there's going to be guys available on the cheap that you can say, hey, where you want to play? You, you want to you want to play for the Ravens and never have the ball thrown to you. And I know that they pushed back against that concept in a press conference today with GM Eric DaCosta, or do you want to come here and play with Aaron Rodgers? You want to be part of what we're building here. So there is an opportunity if he can get their attention. And Mike Silver of NFL Network suggested that was part of what he's doing. He's sending a message to Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, that it's time to try to upgrade the team. I still feel like he's thinking about more than that, though. When you talk about your own uncertain future and it wasn't accidental and it wasn't spur of the moment and it wasn't emotional. He's smart enough to know there was a good chance they were going to lose. Let's say 50, 50, 50, 50. We win, we lose, flip a coin. Who knows? Maybe a little bit greater than 50 that they win, but you have to be prepared for that press conference after a loss. And I think he may have rehearsed in the mirror a few times what he was going to say and how he was going to pull the pin on the grenade that, that we need to pay attention to because we don't know what's going to happen next and he's made it clear he's gonna he's gonna go think about things and at some point he'll let the Packers know what he's thinking and they need to be ready for anything from retirement which I think is highly unlikely to trade me to I want more money to I want more say to some combination of those four and everything that Aaron Rodgers says Mike is calculated he wasn't speaking after a loss of I I know he used the word gutted several times And I'm sure he was gutted. There's no question about that. But I'm just saying, even then, when he's gutted, a lot of players would be emotional after that and say things maybe that they didn't mean or say things that a week later they say, well, you know, it was just after a tough loss. No, Aaron Rodgers, everything he says is for – he says it for a reason, and it's well thought out, and it's calculated. So I think – I'm with you. He had this on his mind before he walked in that room and knew exactly what I was going to say. And, Mike, he thanked the reporters for covering him and covering the team this year. He's never done that before. So there were some things in this press conference that were unprecedented. Well, and that's what caught our attention, what we do. And I'm sure I've mentioned this before. The PFT writers, we send around text messages saying, we're going to take this, we're going to take that. If we see things that we're interested in or we think may be interesting generally, we'll, we'll paste the tweet into the text chain. And I started noticing these texts that we were passing around about Guys like Jason Wildy of ESPN Wisconsin, who's covered the Packers for years, used to do a radio show every week with Aaron Rodgers. When he says it sounded like goodbye, that got my attention. 
and multiple beat writers who have covered the team for a long time were saying, this sounds ominous, this sounds serious, this sounds significant. And last night after the Chiefs-Bills game, I watched that full press conference. We have a link to it at PFT. You can go to Packers.com and find it. It's very, it's very easy to find. It's there. It's 12 minutes. It's worth watching and listening and reading his facial expressions and how he chooses his words carefully. And I think he's particularly upset about something we're going to talk about coming up as it relates to that opportunity for him to, to tie the game with two minutes and change left. Uh, that may be one of the reasons why he was a little emotional last night. But he, I agree with you, Shereen, was not being haphazard, was not being reckless, was not being extemporaneous. He knows what he thinks, and he had a plan for what would happen if they lost that game because he's smart enough to have spent some time in a quiet moment over the course of the last week thinking this could be it. We could lose, and I'm going to have to face these people, and what am I going to say, and how am I going to say it? So now he gets thrust into this conversation, which, you know, last year it was Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers. Well, this year it's Matt, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watts, and we don't know what Ben Roethlisberger is going to do. The only one we know is Phillip Rivers. He's already retired. Drew Brees, we assume he's going to retire. Uh, Dak Prescott, who knows what he's going to do. I mean, it's quarterback musical chairs potentially like never before. And I think it's all fueled by the fact that all these teams out there with great young quarterbacks are set for the next five or ten years. And the teams that don't have great young quarterbacks are thinking – where can I get one? And then the teams that are looking for just kind of a stopgap are seeing these veterans out there and they get fascinated by what they could have for a couple of years. And these names are going to be percolating and guys are going to be moving. And we just don't know how Aaron Rodgers is going to fit into it. But it's definitely something we need to be keeping an eye on. Oh, this is exciting, Mike. I, I can't wait for this offseason. And you're right. Last year, it was the buildup to Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady. Where are they going to go? Where are their best chances to win? And now this year, you've just got some big names on this. And this one isn't as much about free agency as it is about trades. Who are all these players going to be traded to? Which makes it a little bit more difficult, a little bit more complicated than just saying, all right, well, I think you should go here to Indianapolis because they have a Super Bowl-ready team. Well, he's not gonna. most of these players aren't necessarily going to have their pick of where they go. Deshaun Watson obviously has a no-trade clause, so he can somewhat dictate where he wants to go. But the best rest of these players, Mike, it's going to be working out trades and where these guys, where they can get the best deal. And those are going to start fairly quickly. You have to have this done, I would think, by the start of the league, you're right, to know if you need a quarterback or not. Oh, absolutely. Now, with Aaron Rodgers, because one of the things the naysayers are saying is that there's no way they would trade him because the cap charge is more than $31 million if they trade him. Never mind the fact that the cap charge, if they keep him, is more than $37 million, and they'd save $6 million in cap space by trading him. And Jordan Love is on a bargain basement rookie deal. Never mind that. Yeah. But beyond that, they could hold Aaron Rodgers until June 2nd, and the cap charge for trading him this year is only $14 million and change, not Thirty-three or thirty-one million plus, and and in a year where we don't expect there to be much of an off-season program, who right. cares if you do the deal, wink, nod, and you tentatively agree, and then you put the paperwork in on June the second? So that's another element of flexibility if that's what it comes down to. And let me just say one thing before we move on to our colleagues in the media out there. If you're watching, first of all, thank you for watching. Second of all, thank you for listening to what I'm about to say. Why do you want to knock down potentially fascinating stories? that will drive legitimate interest in what we do collectively. We're trying to engage people 
in our product. We want people to be interested. We want them to wake up in the morning and say, I want to check out the website of my newspaper or PFT or The Athletic or ESPN.com or wherever. We want to see what people are saying about this. We want to know about this. We're very excited about this. We don't know how it's going to play out. And I'm not talking about generating false interest or clickbait. I'm talking about turning your nose up at an obvious storyline that will help your employer generate significant revenue during what otherwise may be a quiet, lean month, especially with no scouting combine. So, and I'm going to be even more blunt. For some of you folks out there that work on a salary, and when you get laid off, you wonder what the hell happened. Maybe if you didn't turn your nose up at potentially interesting stories, your company would make enough money that you don't get laid off. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> Did I go too far? No. No, okay, it's good. a legitimate storyline. It's not like we made this up, Mike. He's the one that yeah. brought it up in the press conference. If he hadn't said anything in the press conference, we wouldn't be talking about this today. I, I made a point in writing that was fairly crass, and I, 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 it was so crass I'm not going to repeat it. If you, wanna, if you want to know what I'm talking about, go to the PFT webpage, press the search button, and search Punch Bowl. And you'll find the story that I'm referring to and the point that I made earlier today uh, as it relates to what Aaron Rodgers did or didn't do. We won't know until some time goes by. We eventually will know who the Texans head coach is going to be, we think. Leslie Frazier getting a second interview. He's available because the defense he coordinates didn't really do much defending on Sunday, which I guess would, under the warped upside down Texans approach to a football operation make him the top choice now also David Culley and God I don't want any more Texas A&M people coaching NFL teams I can't take it Shireen no more they should be disqualified (laughs) the quota has been filled Um, tell us about David Culley and why you actually think he'd be a good candidate to coach the Texans being as objective as you can given that he's a Texas A&M guy yeah, you know, I talked to David a little bit last week, and, and we just talked about his, you know, chances of getting this job. Not not that necessarily, but the fact that he's never even gotten an interview anywhere, and he is 65 years old, and he said, I'm okay with being assistant if that's what it is for the rest of my career, but it's great to have this opportunity. John Harbaugh spoke very highly of him to others, and that's why he has this chance to interview. And also Andy Reid. He serves as assistant head coach under Andy Reid at both Philadelphia and Kansas City. So those two guys are in his corner. Never hurts to have those two guys in your corner, Mike. And when you're on their coaching tree, which he is, I think that's fantastic. He's a great leader of men. I I think he would be sort of like I think of Dan Campbell. I mean, I know Dan Campbell well enough, and I know the press conference didn't necessarily go over that well. But I think both of these guys are really great leaders and would be great in a locker room as long as they hire good coaches around them to to do the X's and O's as offensive coordinator, as defensive coordinator. I think he'd be great. But, um, you know, if they don't hire Eric Bieniemy, I will be disappointed. I will... um, I, I don't necessarily think it will be the right choice. I think Eric Bieniemy should be their choice. Leslie Frazier, I don't know how you sell that to the fan base, Mike, after what happened yesterday. I realize one game doesn't make a career, but that, as a, if you're a fan of the Texans, Leslie Frazier right now is a really hard sell to get people hyped up to go buy tickets. Cully, a guy who's been in the NFL since 1994, his longest stint was with the Eagles, arrived with Andy Reid in 99, stayed through 2012, 
went to the Chiefs for a few years before jumping to the Bills as quarterbacks coach in 2017. But a lot of receivers coach, uh, offensive assistant, assistant head coach, quarterbacks coach, and currently the receivers coach and assistant head coach at the Ravens. And, and he's been around, and he's got the experience. And the Texans just need a stabilizing force right now. And the Sunday Splash report yesterday from Chris Mortensen was that Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, regardless of who they hire, to be the head coach. And there was a report from Armando Salguero, I think it was on Friday, that the first choice is the Jets. It was Saturday. The first choice is the Jets for Deshaun Watson because of the presence of Robert Sala, a coach that Watson had recommended the Texans interview, and they did not. So that Watson angle is still a big part of what the Texans are going to do. Frazier and Cully get their second interviews. We'll see whether or not they wait until after the Super Bowl to talk again to Eric Bieniemy and potentially to hire him. Lamar Jackson, along with Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Sam Darnold, all eligible for their second contracts. There's been some chatter about that in recent days. Here's Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM, earlier today talking about Lamar Jackson and whether or not he deserves a second contract. I will be talking to Lamar probably within the next 10 days or so. He's down in Florida, but uh, we've got a great relationship. He's got a great relationship with this organization. He's a very easy person to talk to and um, certainly deserves a contract. Um, he has played phenomenal football over the last couple of years, and our intention and my intention is to keep him in Baltimore for many, many years. Interesting dynamics with Lamar Jackson. Number one, he doesn't have an agent. Now, some of the guys who have no agent truly have no agent. Others who don't have an agent actually have an agent who isn't really an agent, isn't an authorized, certified NFLPA agent, but does the work maybe at an hourly rate, not at a percentage fee. And this whole no agent trend has arisen from the idea that guys don't want to give up one or two or up to 3% of their salary to someone who will get them a hell of a lot more than the 100% they would get on their own, which is just, I don't want to, I don't want to start down that path. That's not what it's about. But the point is, as it relates to Lamar Jackson, without an agent, it puts the Ravens in a position where they could maybe do a team-friendly deal, especially with the salary cap in the range of $180 million. Hey, Lamar, you want some financial security? You're not going to make much money this year? Here's what we'll do. Here's what we can do. We can't do more than that because the cap's going to be too low. There is an opportunity there to kind of subtly finesse a team-friendly deal with Lamar Jackson, at least over the next few years. And if you don't get that deal that you're looking for as a team, Mike, you kick the can down the road just like the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott and say, okay, we'll hold out and wait, which is what I think they should do, frankly, and I think you agreed with me on this. I, I want to see more from Lamar Jackson in the postseason. One and three in the postseason, three touchdowns, five interceptions. He's been great in the regular season. We know that. Nobody has more wins in the regular season since he became the full-time starter since Lamar Jackson does. He's been terrific. He has an MVP award. But, Mike, this reminds me so much of the Ravens and Joe Flacco coming off that Super Bowl MVP award. The Ravens made – Joe Flacco, the highest paid player in football. And after that, they went 42 and 41, made one playoff appearance and were one and one in the postseason with Joe Flacco. It did not work out. I want to see more from Lamar Jackson if I'm the Ravens before I commit that kind of money and that kind of length of contract to Lamar Jackson. The injury risk is a big part of it as well. And they've got him for another year of his base rookie deal. And then they have 
the fifth-year option. Now, the new CBA revises the fifth-year option a bit. I think he'll be eligible for franchise tag money, even though he was the 32nd pick. Change the formula for first-round picks based upon how often you play, how much you accomplish in your first four years or three years in the NFL. But they'll they'll pick up the fifth-year option by May 3rd, and they'll have that certainty. The question, though, then becomes what do they do and when do they do it as it relates to a long-term deal. And, you know, at some point, there is, I think, some wisdom in just letting a guy hit the market. Even if you want to try to sign him on the open market, I mean, sometimes a guy wants too much and it's not going to be out there. You know, I've said that with the Cowboys. Prior to the injury, prior to the franchise tender, you know, the, the whole concept of the franchise tag is it takes a guy off the market. It keeps a guy from hitting the open market. And if the Cowboys don't want to pay Dak Prescott a, a long-term deal driven by the amount of the franchise tag, then just let him hit the market and see what the market bears and try to sign him. If someone else, you know, offers X, you offer X plus one. Um, but, you know, roll the dice and see if you think that the market's not going to be out there for him. And I think for a guy like Lamar, ja- Lamar Jackson, I don't know what the market would be. I don't know that somebody would offer him 40, 45, 50 million a year. Sims and I discussed recently, Shireen, our belief that moving forward, there will be tiers of quarterback contracts. It's no longer going to be this is the next guy who's up for a contract. So he just becomes the highest paid quarterback in league history until the next one. There was like a, a, a cascading effect of that a yeah. few years ago when it went from Derek Carr to Andrew Luck to Matthew Stafford to Jimmy Garoppolo to Kirk Cousins to Matt Ryan to Aaron Rodgers. And, and Patrick Mahomes kind of changed that. But I think there really are the best of the best and they're going to have their range. The next cut, they're going to have their range. The next cut, they're going to have their range. That's going to be the only fair way to do it. Because I just think, you know, you put Lamar Jackson on the open market right now. Well, definitely he's not getting $45 million, Definitely not in this climate. But I think that's just part of the, the analysis the Ravens have to engage in. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And, you know, th- they need to help him too. And I know Eric DaCosta talked today about, well, we don't think we necessarily need a number one receiver. Well, it, you know, it, it says you does. The stats say you do. You were 32nd and passing for whatever reason. Yes, you threw the fewest passes, but that was probably more by design than anything else. But they've got to improve that passing game, Mike, if they're going to compete for a Super Bowl. In this day and age, you can't be number one in passing and 32nd, I'm sorry, number one in rushing and 32nd in passing and win a Super Bowl. That's not the the way this game is played. And I know they're not going to change their offense, and that's fine. It's worked very well in the regular season. But they have to be better at passing the football in the postseason if they're going to win a Super Bowl. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's not rocket science to figure that out. You've seen it. You've seen it now in three postseasons with this team. They've got to pass the ball better and score more points. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And it's just one of the things you're going to have to figure out if they want to get to the next level. There's just teams out there that feel like they're bumping up against a ceiling. Packers, Ravens, Vikings, it's a lower ceiling for them. Cowboys, it's even lower than that. But how do you start busting through these ceilings? And for the Ravens, the key is getting a passing game. Let's take a break. When we return, the uh, the curious decision by the Green Bay Packers to not go for the touchdown with one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history on their side. We'll discuss that next here on PFTPM. PFTPM. 
went into the decision to kick the field goal there on fourth and eight, and do you regret that in hindsight? Yeah, anytime it doesn't work out, you always regret it, right? But uh, it was just uh, the circumstances of having three shots and coming away with no yards um, and knowing that you not only need the touchdown, but you'd need the two-point. So the way I was looking at it was we essentially had four timeouts with the two-minute warning. And, you know, we, we knew we needed to get a stop. And I thought we were going to have a stop there at the end, but, you know, they, we got called for, for the PI. Um, and it didn't work out. So I think anytime something doesn't work out, do you regret it? Sure. But we're always going to be process-driven here. And the way our defense was battling, the way our defense was playing, felt like it was the right decision to do and uh it just didn't work out yeah that wasn't my decision but i understand the thinking above two minutes with uh all of our timeouts but yeah that wasn't my decision maddie allowed me to call that third down play um if i had known we were going to kick it if we didn't get it you know maybe something else would have been uh uh, maybe gone with uh, some sort of, uh, you know, crossing routes maybe there uh, instead. But I thought we, you know, maybe we're going to have four chances to go. Rob Domofsky. Aaron, I don't know how it exactly works in the heat of the moment, but is there any opportunity to try to convince Matt to go for it in that situation on fourth and eight, or is that not even possible? Yeah, I mean, I don't – I don't know. That's a tough one, Rob. Uh, I look over the sideline, I see, you know, five big guys around the field. There's a lot of gymnastics that has to happen to get us, uh, you know, to be able to go for it there. But, yeah, yeah, um, I don't know. That, that, that decision was made, and we, and we moved on. Now, look, I've seen quarterbacks in the past in the midst of those gymnastics involving five big guys coming out for the field goal team say this, go back. We're going for it. Lamar Jackson did it famously last year in the Seahawks-Ravens game where the 2019 Ravens really landed on our radar screen as a legitimate force. If worst-case scenario happens and you don't have enough time, you got three timeouts. I mean, this is about trying to tie the game, not conserve your timeouts. And I I, look, I I don't want to blame Aaron Rodgers for it because he's just deferring to the structure he's a part of. Matt LaFleur said... We're always going to be driven by process. I don't know what that means. All I know is this, and I wrote about this today at PFT. It dawned on me as I was thinking about this. What Matt LaFleur did in that one moment, Shereen, he underestimated two of the greatest quarterbacks in league history. He underestimated the ability of Aaron Rodgers to make the play with the season on the line, and he underestimated the ability of Tom Brady to deliver the dagger when given the opportunity to hold the lead of five points with two minutes left. No question, Mike, and it was a very good post. And that was my argument, too. Do you trust Aaron Rodgers more, or do you trust your defense more to stop Tom Brady? And to me, you trust Aaron Rodgers more in that situation. And frankly, Mike, if they don't get it there, the Bucks are on the eight-yard line. I would much rather like – I would much – I would like my chances more from the eight-yard line stopping them because maybe the Bucks are more careful in that situation. Maybe they don't throw the ball on first down. I don't know, but I would have liked to have seen them 
go for it. And even if you don't get it, at least the Bucks are taking over the ball on the eight-yard line. And to me, you would have had perhaps a better chance to get the ball back than what you had. Yeah, we saw Tom Brady converting third downs all game long. There were just two punts for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, there were three consecutive Brady interceptions on three straight drives. Two of those may have ended up in punts. One was in field goal range. But when you consider all the circumstances, see, this is why I don't like predetermined organizational situational football decisions where you think about it ahead of time. And if we ever get in this situation, this is what we're going to do. This much time on the clock, this down and distance, this field position, press the button, this is what you do because we've already done the research ahead of time. You've got to consider the bigger picture here. The Buccaneers were up 18. It was over. And then here come the Packers. They make it close. They make it interesting. They get it to 28 to 23. Then the Bucs get the field goal to make it 31 to 23. I mean, the Packers almost did to the Buccaneers what the Seahawks did to the Packers six years ago when the Packers had their ticket punched for a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl, and it fell apart for the Packers. The Packers could have done that. They could have pulled it off. So if your process says in that situation, we're going to trust our defense and take the field goal, your process has to take a hike in that setting. When you're at home, the season's on the line, you were down 18, and you got them on their heels, and you got one of the great quarterbacks of all time with one play. One play. And see, I was pissed off about it this morning, and I still am. Sorry, London, if this is on in London. I don't think it is. But I'm still pissed off about it, Shereen, because we, collectively we, all of us, were deprived of that moment. Of that moment. Of the Buccaneers' defense getting into formation. The Packers' offense coming up to the line of scrimmage. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman or the radio Folks, if you're listening, you know, to the partisans who call the games, whatever it is, a rare, special moment. Game is on the line. It's fourth and goal from the eight. The Green Bay Packers against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Brady and Rodgers. It all comes down to this, unless it doesn't. It still upsets me. And I don't want to be selfish, but I speak on behalf of all football fans when I say, Matt LaFleur, you screwed all of us. Well, and Mike, I felt so much, I'm nonpartisan in both of these games, but I felt the tenseness of that situation. I mean, I'm just like, who's going to win this game? It's going to come, when they kick the field goal, I'm like, Bucks are going to win this game. I don't see the Packers getting the ball back with enough time to, and I realize it's Aaron Rodgers, but it was also Tom Brady on the other side, which goes to your point, you got to know who's on this other side of the ball. The Browns against the the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes on the other side. You don't punt in that situation. Bills, you don't kick field goals in that situation. Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. He averages 36 points in the playoff in playoff games. He started and finished. So know who's on the other side of the ball. Don't just look at some chart, as you said, predetermined. And, Mike, let's go back also to the two-point conversion they went for. If they don't go in analytics in that situation, says go for it. I get it. There's a place for analytics. But I'm just saying, if you kick the extra point at that point, you only need the seven points, and your chances of tying that game and sending into overtime go up, not down. Now, if they'd gotten a two-point conversion, it would have been completely different. But St. Brown dropped the pass that was slightly tipped at the line, and and here we are talking about they needed the the touchdown and the two-point conversion. And I know analytics in that situation, from what I saw, 
their chances of winning didn't change much whether they kicked the field goal or went for it. But I would have liked their chances better with Aaron Rodgers in that situation from the eight-yard line. One play. Yeah, look, and and even though LaFleur pointed to the pass interference as the reason for extending the drive and allowing the Buccaneers to win the game. Well, that's one of the risks you assume when you let them have the ball. Yeah, one of the possibilities is they're going to pick up a first down via a penalty. It's going to happen, potentially. Or somebody's going to pop through the line of scrimmage and run for a first down. Or Tom Brady's going to hit There's 20 different things that could happen that will beat you once you let Tom Brady have the ball again. And you accept the possibility that one of those is going to happen. What happened was it was the pass interference call. Not a bad call. The only reason people are upset is because they were calling it loose all game long, and then all of a sudden they decide to call it tight, even though it really isn't calling it tight, when, as somebody told me on Twitter today, Kevin King turned Tyler Johnson's L into an XL the way he ripped at the back of it and, you know, <laughs> impeded his ability to go get the ball. So, and there's a question of whether or not it was catchable, but one of the reasons it wasn't catchable is the guy was held from trying to get closer to catch the ball. So that's the risk you take when you don't say, I trust my guy and I fear their guy. I mean, I've never seen this before. I've seen coaches underestimate their own players before, but to underestimate Rodgers and in turn underestimate Brady is one of a kind. And this feels like one of those that, just like Rodgers' comments, the more time passes, the more it's going to stink. And the more people are going to say, what the hell happened? And this is going to be a little bit of a mess that Matt LaFleur has to clean up in Green Bay. And it may be one of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers is thinking – you know, I, hey, I, I carry this team all year long, and then we get to the point where the season is on the line, and I don't get the opportunity. I mean, have I not done enough to merit the opportunity to convert on fourth and goal from the eight? If we don't get it, it's on me. I'll take the blame. But I think I've earned the right to be the one to make that play. That, that's probably one of the reasons why he was so dejected after the game. And guess what, Mike? You talked about the pass interference penalty. I was yelling this when I was watching Matt LaFleur. Maybe the same thing happens on the fourth and goal play. Maybe you get the defensive hold or the defensive pass interference. And guess what? You've got first and goal from the one. Not only can you score the touchdown and kick the extra or and get the two-point conversion, but you might be able to run the time down as well. So you know what? He had a chance right there to to make history, and instead Aaron Rodgers makes history in a different way, becoming the first quarterback, first starting quarterback to lose four consecutive championship games like that. And, and he didn't give Rodgers the chance in this game, and there were multiple coaching errors in this game. That obviously was the biggest, but the, we are overshadowing and forgetting about the one right before the half, which may have been the play of the game. Yeah, the Scotty Miller, no risk it, no biscuit, touchdown throw where I don't know what the Jets are. The Jets, I'm thinking the Jets because I'm thinking Greg Williams. I don't know what <laughs> the Packers were thinking. Mike Pettin used to be with the Jets. No two safeties deep. Wasn't really guarding the sidelines against the out. And Kevin King let Scotty Miller run by him for that touchdown. And that was the mo- – look, that, that's all the more reason to go for it on fourth and goal from the eight. Yeah. Because when Scotty Miller catches that ball – that game feels over. And then the fumble 
by Aaron Jones to start the second half and the Bucs score again. It's definitely over. They were on the brink of pulling off what history would have remembered as one of the great comebacks of all time in postseason NFL annals, and they opted not to let one of the great quarterbacks of all time get it done. I'm telling you, the more I think about it, the more it upsets me. So my guess is the more Aaron Rodgers and other Packers players think about it, especially on the offense, the more it's going to upset them. Let's take a break. You're going to hear from the coaches who will be squaring off in the Super Bowl from their Monday press conferences coming up. But then after that, mailbag time on this Monday edition of PFTPF. We'll be right back. What can you say about this rematch uh, from week 12? Yeah, I mean, that that game uh, was, you know, that was one that was, we were, I think, down 17, and then we came storming back and uh, just couldn't get the ball back. Um, should be a great game. Should be a really good game. And uh, they're a hell of a football team, and they're super, super well coached by Andy and his whole whole crew, Spags and everybody, great players. So it, it should be it should be fun. We look for that challenge of playing the Buccaneers. They're, they're a good football team and uh, unique situation that they're, they're playing at home. I mean, that's never happened. Uh, but my hat goes off to Bruce Arians and his staff done a nice job. Their players have done a nice job. And, uh, you know, again, we look forward to that opportunity to, uh, to play them. Just speak to, uh, you know, to any type of advantage you might have, uh, you know, playing the Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium. I think the big advantage is, uh, you know, we stay in our own beds and sleep here and just do our normal routines. Nothing's, nothing's out of the ordinary until we hit the media sessions next week. Uh, but everything else, just to be able to stay in your routine, sleep in your bed and all that stuff is, is it's, I think it's a huge advantage. I'm not really excited playing Kyrie Hill and Kelsey and Mahomes. Uh, that's, that's a, a formidable challenge, but uh, our guys will be up for it. We've dug in on them uh, this morning and um, try to get a jump on that. Uh, we understand that it's a little bit chaotic when you, uh, with all the media opportunities and the things that go go on. <clears throat> during uh, these next couple of weeks. So we're trying to get a jump on the best we can before complete chaos hits. So, um, and, and what you see is a team that's not making many mistakes, that is uh, got a high level of execution going on offensively and, and defensively. A variety of looks on both sides of the ball, uh, solid on special teams. Um, and uh, you can see where Tom's leadership um, on the offensive side is showing. Um, uh, he's, he's playing at an extremely high level. And for somebody his age, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable for a 25-year-old to be doing what he's doing, let alone a 43-year-old. Or- answer as many of these questions as we can Shireen in the time we have left Stephen Burton 86 what are the odds that Matthew Stafford actually ends up in Indianapolis everything I hear uh oh fans with sources says that Ballard wants him and that Stafford wants to come to Indy I've yet to hear that but hey the Colts need a quarterback Stafford's available the question is what do the Lions want for him and uh I think it would make sense I they won't be dramatically worse and they could be significantly better with Stafford instead of Philip Rivers Shireen 
I certainly think he fits there, Mike. He fits what they want to do. He fits Frank Reich's offense, and he could be there for more than one year as a bridge quarterback. So a lot depends, like you said, on what the Lions want for him. What are the Colts willing to give up for him? They didn't have to give up anything to get Phillip Rivers. They just had to sign him to a contract, and frankly, it was a team-friendly deal that they got with Phillip Rivers last year. So here they are looking for a quarterback again, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know that I'd say $25 million for Phillip Rivers at that point in his career is team-friendly, especially when Brady got $25 million as well. I thought it was more ski-mask contract for Phillip Rivers, but hey, you know, reasonable minds can differ. Here's another one. Jamon Javian asks, do you think Matthew Stafford needs to go somewhere with the Dome Stadium because he's been playing in one, or would it be no problem if he goes to Denver? Now, look, I'd have to do a full analysis on his statistics playing outside versus inside, but every quarterback wants to play in a dome if they can I think it just makes it attractive it's just one of the when you list the pros and cons one of the pros that you check is dome stadium right yeah and you talk about Lamar Jackson remember we were writing those stories he's never played in a snow game in his life he hadn't even seen snow until he got to Louisville and they had a snowball fight but he never played in it there and so a lot of these quarterbacks have never played in snow I don't know how many snow games Matthew Stafford has played in he grew up here in Dallas he didn't play in many if it any snow games in high school he went to Georgia he didn't play in many if any snow games cold games in Georgia either so he hasn't played in a ton of those Mike but I don't know that that necessarily matters I think quarterbacks can adjust and then go where they where they need to go. Everyone would rather play in a dome. I'm sure he would rather play in Indianapolis than somewhere than Denver, maybe as far as conditions go. But you just want to go and have a chance to win wherever that is. Best place for him, I think, is a spot that has strong veteran leadership, not relying upon the quarterback yes. to provide it. Strong coaching, not relying upon the quarterback to provide it. And coaching that is strong enough to elevate the quarterback because I've never gotten the impression he craves the mantle of being a leader. That's been the one flaw in his game. And, and you really have to be picky to find that. But he's a great passer, great quarterback, and could make a team great next year. Venet, Virginia, could you see the Texans and the Packers swapping quarterbacks? Aaron Rodgers for Deshaun Watson, Shereen. What would you think of that? Ooh, that would be so awesome to me, but I couldn't see why Aaron Rodgers would possibly want to go to the Texans. I mean, you look at what Deshaun Watson did with the Texans this year. He led the league in passing yards, and look what it got him, four wins. They are not close to being a Super Bowl champion, but I think that would be exciting to watch. I think Deshaun Watson would be terrific in Green Bay. The over-under on Aaron Rodgers saying to Jack Easterby, get the expletive deleted out of my face would be three and a half seconds. So for that reason alone, <laughs> I want the trade to happen. Uh, PFT Pam Posse, what was wrong with our boy Blue during yesterday's game? That's a reference, obviously, to Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Or what did the Chiefs defense do that had him so rattled and out of sync? I look, I think it was a combination of the moment, plus the Chiefs defense is pretty good. Chris Jones seemed to be everywhere that I saw Josh Allen yesterday, and he just he just was off. And they've got a great secondary, very underrated, great pass rush, very underrated. We, we talk about Mahomes and Tyreek and Kelsey, and it's all offense, offense, offense. The Chiefs have a pretty good defense, and the Bills walked right into the teeth of it yesterday. Yeah, and you look at Josh Allen's elevation, Mike. He went from 
getting the Bills to the to the playoffs last year, and they lost to Houston. They shouldn't have. This year, he gets them wins. He gets them to the championship game. They've taken another step. I think next year they'll be expecting to take that next step, which is get to the Super Bowl, and he's taken all those steps. Mahomes lost his first time in the AFC Championship game, too. Now, they should have won the game, as we said earlier, but he did lose his first one. I think it's all about taking those steps and learning how to win, and I think he did that this year. But he didn't look good in that game, for sure. There has been a real buzz in league circles. People who study the game, people who are at the games, people who see Josh Allen play were questioning whether or not Allen has caught Patrick Mahomes. Now, that's regular season Mahomes and regular season Allen. There is something about playoff Mahomes that rises to another level. And, you know, you think about this. Every week of the regular season, the Chiefs are taking the absolute best punch that the opponent has. They are the measuring stick the Chiefs are week in and week out. It becomes exhausting. And then you get to the playoffs. It's full focus. It's next level. And that's what we saw from Mahomes yesterday. And Josh Allen simply wasn't able to meet that level of performance, Shereen. Yeah, and I saw uh, Tony Dungy tweet this out. Mahomes, they're averaging 36.1 points in the postseason games he started and finished. They've had he's had 15 drives in the postseason this year, seven touchdowns, four field goals, a missed field goal, one punt, and two kneel downs. This offense rolls when they get to the postseason, and they're doing it again, Mike. Last one real quickly from Nelly with a Y. Should the NFL have eliminated the two weeks off before the Super Bowl this year? A lot of people are buzzing about that. Why take two weeks to let one of these teams develop a COVID-19 issue? Let's keep this thing rolling. And my guess is there are plenty of people at the league office that were thinking, man, if there was only a way we could just play this damn game Sunday and be done with it because who knows what's going to happen over the next 13 days. Yeah, and we got no Pro Bowl. They don't need that anyway, but we don't have it this weekend. They could have played it this weekend, but obviously the schedule is predetermined. The Super Bowl was preset. No way really to to move this thing like they probably want to, but in best laid plans, absolutely, they'd want to play the game this Sunday rather than wait another week and and, uh, the threat of an outbreak. Real quickly, Jay Boz, is Josh McDaniels ever going to be a head coach again if it's not in New England? No. I don't know that it's going to be in New England, though. I don't know. Why would he have talked to the Eagles about what was one of the least desirable jobs this cycle if he thought he was going to get the Patriots job at some point? Unless Bill Belichick really is going to go Warren Buffett, Rupert Murdoch, and coach into his 80s. But, folks, look, we got to be realistic about this. And, and, and George Hallis retired from coaching when he did for one very simple reason. He couldn't stand for three hours anymore. There will be a point where Bill Belichick is not able to physically accomplish the demands of the job. So what are you going to do? Are you going to coach from the coaching box? What, what are you going to do at that point? So I, I don't think Belichick's going to be there another 10 years. But, you know, from McDaniel's standpoint, the, the, the sun has set. On, on his A-list status, as evidenced by the fact that he interviewed with the Eagles, they seemed to be interested, and they hired Nick Sirianni instead.
Yeah, and if Mike, if he ever gets an opportunity, he better take that job because I think it will be his last opportunity. But I don't think he ever gets another chance. He turned down the Colts, and that was his best opportunity to go be a head coach somewhere else. And I'm with you. I'm not sure he gets the New England job. I think Belichick is setting up one of his sons to take over that job when he's done. Now, what Robert Kraft wants to do is a completely different thing, but I think that would be what Bill Belichick would want is one of his sons to get that job. Yeah, Robert Kraft is setting up one of his sons to run the team, and th- th- that son's got to be on board with the son of Belichick taking over the Patriots, so we'll see how that all plays out. But <laughs> one of those or both of those kids is going to end up being a head coach somewhere because Belichick, and you're just going to assume they know what they're doing, and also they have somebody they can call on the phone for advice anytime they want. All right, that's it for today's PFT PM. Thanks for joining us. Up next, Safety Blitz with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth. We'll see you tomorrow.